Hey! Hey, you! Yeah, you listen to the Dirtbag Diaries with Fitzgerald. Have a little noise, huh? Both Beck and I were a little concerned about living underneath our landlord. It's not that we're particularly prone to partying or intensely private. It's just that off-scene landlords, especially wealthy ones from the Bay Area, can be a pain in the ass. The rent was fair enough, though. The studio cozy, the view unbeatable. The lake lapped against toaster-sized granite stones just 100 feet from our patio. It was the first and probably only lakefront property we will call home. still wasn't sure as we pulled into the driveway, but after couch surfing for two wonderfully depraved months, we were getting desperate for a place of our own. Honey, we ski. Some people buy second homes. We all have different hobbies. It will work out, Becca told me. I stared at the three-story lakefront home that we would guard over from a tiny room adjacent to the garage. They'll probably never even come up, I said. Real estate is just the thing to do these days. We don't like to admit it, but mountain people can be an arrogant lot. We adhere to an us-and-them view of the world typically reserved for despotic sociopaths, a few cleansing shy of an international tribunal. To those who don't fit our mold, we can be condescending and brutally rude. I was wrong about our landlord, Henry. The fifty-something labor lawyer from the Bay was small in stature, with wiring, graying hair, and a quiet voice that tended to jump and skip through sentences like the trembling of a distant bird call. As he clicked the garage door opener, our only means of access to the mother-in-law studio, both Becca and I instinctually gravitated to the monoboard hanging from the wall. You heard me, a monoboard. The garage smelled faintly of laundry detergent, cold pavement, and motor oil. We stepped inside. The blue, red, and gold white monoboard was part of an extensive collection. Instantaneously, it was clear that in front of us lay Henry's life work. He had searched yard sales and cut-rate ski shops, responded to newspaper advertisements, and helped neighbors clean out their garages in order to assemble what was likely the most extensive collection of rare, bizarre, and antique skis in the West, if not the known world. This was not a museum where antiquities are kept behind glass and never used, but a working library where items were checked out and reappeared with scratches, stains, and delaminated sidewalls. There were at least seven pairs of skis hanging from a homemade wooden rack. For the early season's sparse conditions, Henry kept two battered sets, each with their own distinct war wounds and core shots. Next to them hung a pair of old straight skis Henry kept for shits and giggles. I dust them off every once in a while just to remember the old days, he told me. He owned a newer pair of Dynastars, nothing flashy, just a good workhorse of a ski, and two other pairs that he just kept around. 
He also had a set of original fat powder skis, complete with neon surveyor's tape in case of wipeout. Of all the skis in his collection, they were the only set purchased new, and made Henry startlingly ahead of the curve. There were snowboards, short boards for the park, and long for the powder. He admitted that snowblades had been disappointing and didn't really do anything well. He pointed to two sets of 1980s era beginner skis. They were cut short in the rear to facilitate wedge turns. These, Henry said, with an eager smile and look of conspiratorial joy, these are perfect for doing spread eagles and daffies. I struggled to imagine this small, quiet man with a neat mustache and wire-rimmed glasses ripping the shit out of anything other than a legal brief. But it was evident from this collection that our unassuming landlord knew a thing or two about carving a turn. At the very least, this man could have fun with two-by-fours strapped to his feet. Our tour continued as we arrived at Henry's monoboard which he really liked on groomer days, but only after lunch and a few beers. I've got to ride it at the end of the day, though. Once you've strapped that on for a while, you forget how to turn skis or a snowboard, he told me as if I, too, were a connoisseur of winter sports bastard children. He rounded out his collection with cross-country skis, three saucers, a wooden toboggan, and a tri-ski sled complete with steering wheel. The best part, he explained, was that aside from the very forward-thinking purchase of newly crafted powder skis, his quiver had all been second-hand. People have been skiing for centuries, and while side cuts, dampening system, widths, shapes, and bindings have all advanced by light years, the heart of the sport remains rooted in simple truth. Skiing is fun. So imagine a carpenter's toolbox. A carpenter understands each and every tool he understands each blade and how it's going to cut. And Henry was the same way. He understood each ski, each snowboard's wild strain of goofy fun. And standing in that garage, I understood immediately that Henry was part of the tribe. I'm sure punk snowboarders snickered at Henry's monoski. I'm sure mocking cheers floated down from the list when Henry, employing his hybrid beginner skis, punctuated yet another successful daffy with a quiet whoop of joy. If Henry heard the remarks, I'm sure he didn't care. The smile on his face would last for at least a week as he herded briefs and cold depositions into neatly arranged cases. One Friday night in January, Becca and I returned late to find a recently arrived Henry, shovel in hand, standing in the driveway illuminated by the porch light. When I reminded Henry that he had hired the Haney brothers' vastly efficient six-ton plow to complete the very task he had set out to accomplish at midnight, he just smiled giddily and said, I know, but it just looked like it needed to be shoveled. It's been years since I've seen Henry, 
Now I live further from the windswept ridge lines and water-carved canyons that I have in more than a decade. Sometimes in dreams, I hear the rasp of a snow shovel's metal edge on snow-slick concrete. Both Becca and I long for that tiny studio, the rollaway bed, and that incredible view. I followed a career into the flatlands, and I understand the motivation that it takes to negotiate rain-slick interstates, chain-controlled passes, and the vehicular chaos that comes in between. While I live in the lowlands, it doesn't make me any bit less a mountain person. I know, too, that one day I will become the subject of a snowboarder's ridicule, and the lifties will mutter city folk beneath their breath. I hope I will find solace in half-shoveled driveways while snow falls in thick round flakes. Life's roads and discoveries have steered me from the simple life, but I have faith that they will lead me back to the mountains, back to my rightful home. Now when I descend into the red glare of brake lights on the road back towards another week of work in the windy concrete slot canes of the city, I think of Henry, illuminated by my headlights, shovel in hand, with snowflakes melting on the edges of his mustache, and smiling like an expatriate returning to a homeland after decades abroad. I'm Fitzko Hall, and you're listening to the Dirtback Diaries. Today's show was made possible by generous donations from our... What? We don't... We don't... We don't have any sponsors? How the hell am I supposed to do this? What, do you think I work for free? Come on! Christ.